I always try to save the introverts at some point in that. So, uh, welcome to Radius. Um, if you're new here, I've got a pretty good thing going here. And you probably can figure that out in, in a short amount of time by, by meeting a few people. We even, even Derek is getting like wise with his old age where he didn't use the word immature for the younger. I like that. You stayed away from immature and you stayed away from old, which were both, were both important. But uh, What I like to do today, we've spent... Actually, when I walked up here, I opened up to the book of John. I've been in John for 30 weeks in a row, and that's not what I'm preaching from today, so it's confusing. Um, we spent 30 weeks talking through the book of John. It was, it was a, just a good time for us. It was a great, great time. Just to, who'd we talk about? We talked about Jesus for 30 weeks. We're going to keep talking about Jesus, but we're going to do it from other passages. And today, what we'd like to do is just take a little time and talk about who we are, who we are as a church. If you're new, I hope to give you a little insight if, if you're been here a long time, just reminding you of who you are. Uh, I don't know if you watched any of the sprints on TV, one of my favorite things, 100 meters to watch. I love the way they get set, they get down, there's this, there's this whole little process. Some of them, like, they tap their toe, they got this variety of things. They, they get ready for the race, and this is kind of Sunday before school starts. And if you live in the suburbs a little bit, school is kind of what turns the crank. And so this is a big Sunday in the sense that we're getting ready, we're about to send our kids back to it. And hopefully your family is taking the summer, you're taking advantage of the summer, and your kids are ready, ready to go back to it. Not just so that they'll excel academically or athletically, but so that there'll be lights in the schools. And it gives us new opportunities, the parents, to impact people. So school season's big. This is the Sunday where we set our feet. Next Sunday, we, span, we plan to be running. Our head will be down a little bit, and we'll be coming up in just a second. Um, so in that, just because of that, I want to pray over this school year. I want to pray over our students. And we'll chat a little bit about who we are. Jesus, I always love sitting on a stool to look out at a group of people that love love their community. And uh, you know us. We love them and we love ourselves. So we battle between those two things. And we really ask that just even this morning, you'd help us be ready uh, to get back into a, into a rhythm. Pray for the kids specifically, uh, from elementary kids all the way up to seniors in high school, that uh, you prepare them for another year, that this year would be a year where uh, they grow as young men and as young women, but more importantly, Lord, as they grow as disciples, that they, they become more like you over the course of the year and, and that they shine in these schools that uh, they attend. We've got teachers here. We've got administrators, coaches. Appreciate all of them, Lord. And we're thrilled with what they chose to do with their, with their career. And we, we pray you give them. You give them real favor this year. Um, we, we'd love for their classes to be under control. I know that's always a challenge, but we pray that you give them a lot of wisdom as they deal with each kid individually and that love would, would really well up in them because because of you and they'd be able to give that away for us lord all of us kind of there's mixed emotions we've had a great time with more hours with our families and and at the other other on the other side of the coin lord our life gets a little chaotic in the summer so we're ready for for a little rhythm back help us all prepare us uh, just with a little chat this morning but but even this afternoon and evening get ready uh to do a good job right here we love you amen so today, uh, I want to read to you just a brief story. It's, it's from the Old Testament. 
And uh, the first time I heard it, there was this guy, he was, he was a pastor of a big church in Chicago, and I went to a conference, and, and he taught this little passage, and, and I, was, I was overwhelmed. As a matter of fact, I stayed with some friends of Cheryl's. I'd stay at their house every, every night in Chicago because we were cheap, and that was the, the easy way to stay, and I would come back to their house just swollen <laughs> because I had cried a lot during the day hearing this guy talk. And one of the things that just overwhelmed me was that folks at his church were coming to Jesus. And I had grown up uh, in great little churches that loved the Lord, but I just hadn't seen many people get saved. Just hadn't seen it. And I wanted to see it. I still want to see it. And it moved me to see it happening right there at Bill Hybels Church, this monster church. And they kind of do a show. They're not like us. They do a show. We don't do everything like them. But I was moved by their passion for their neighbors to come to Jesus. And I came home, and it's really when we, we planted our first church. I got, I, got, I got to do that, what they do. We, and we tried to do what they do. We tried to do skits. They always had a skit on stage. You talk about some lame skits. We had some lame skits. I look back, I remember sitting right there, and I sweat a pool right there because one of our skits was so horrible. I was so embarrassed. I had to go up and preach after it. We were trying to be like, by, like Willow Creek, this monster church that was built around people coming to it Watching what happens up here and, and deciding to believe. That is not what we're trying to do here. Not knocking that. All right, that's, that's one way. But what we really hope is that this is a go and tell. That will be a come and see church. We are a go and tell church, which means all the pressure is on me. That means when you, I mean, on you. Did I say me? And all the pressure is on you. It's not on me and Derek when we're preaching. Though we want to do a really good job and our band really wants to lead you in worship. And, but we're a team. And at the end of the day, unless we impact our radius individually, the job just doesn't get done. Because we built the whole thing around going and telling. Read you the story in the Old Testament. This is in 2 Kings. If you just met Jesus, please don't go home and read 2 Kings, all right? Because it will confuse you. If you like to see people get killed, go home and read 2 Kings because it happens all the time. There's just, it's, just, it's like a hard, heavy movie when you read through 2 Kings. There's this... This prophet named Elisha, and he is, he's a stud. Anywhere he goes, um, in, in a real, like, calm, powerful way, he, he speaks for God, and crazy stuff happens. And if you were to read the beginning of 2 Kings, you read about Elisha, and this is Elisha with a S-H-A at the end. All kinds of interesting and, and uh, crazy stories are going down. We come to this point in 2 Kings chapter 7, and uh, Elisha... Has, has prophesied a few things you'll see come true in just a minute. But there's this city called Samaria, which is a part of the northern kingdom. If, if you remember when we went through the Old Testament, there was Israel, it was a nation, David was the king, and then Solomon was the king, and then it split into a northern and southern kingdom. In the northern kingdom, uh, it, there's a city called Samaria. And in Samaria was, was, was where the king, it was the headquarters, the capital of the northern kingdom. And so the king was inside the walls of this city. And this, this enemy army has come, and they've surrounded the city, and, and so the folks can't eat. Back in the day, if you wanted to do war, and you had a larger military, you just surround the city. You couldn't get through the walls, so you just wait outside. You'd eat all their crops from their fields, because most of the crops were outside the city, and you would just starve them out. And that's exactly what's happening in this story. Let me read you a few verses. Evidently... Um, the lepers, and I don't know if you know about this disease called leprosy, 
It is nasty and rough. It, 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 it creates boils on your skin, but it, chicken pox make, it makes chicken pox look like lightweight because eventually this, this thing, which is super contagious to the touch, will actually make your fingers drop off. Just the ends, a little bit at a time. Your nose might drop off. I could use a little bit of my nose dropping off. I don't know about you, but, but your nose, like your extremities, your ears start dropping off because it just eats, eats away at you. It's, it's gross. And so people would set them outside the city, and they would set up tents. And so we got these four guys. You're going to meet them. Verse 3, chapter 7. And now there were four men with leprosy sitting at the entrance of the city gates. And they said, why, why should we sit here waiting to die? They asked each other. I can imagine playing hearts around the table, right? And they're just, just waiting to die. They're starving to death, and they got leprosy. They got nothing to lose. Uh, we will starve if we stay here, but with the, famine, with, with the famine in the city, we will starve if we go back there. So we might as well go out and surrender to the Aramean army. If they let us live, so much the better. But if they kill us... We would have died anyway. I love their the, uh, theology and logic. Right? Hey, we're about to die, so let's either die by the sword and not suffer, or let's go out there and maybe they'll arrest us and they'll give us some food, or maybe they'll toss them some food. The King James writes it. I, I love the way the King James writes this particular verse. It says, if they save us, we shall live, and if they kill us, we shall but die. I'm like, I love that. Like, we shall, shall but die. This isn't very complicated. So in context, they, they're outside the city and they're deciding to go to the enemy army and just risk everything to hope to get a meal. So check out what happens. So at twilight, they set out for the camp of the Arab. I can't figure out how to say this word. Arameans. We'll go with that. But when they came to the edge of the camp, no one was there. For the Lord had caused the Aramean army to hear the clatter of speeding chariots and galloping of horses and the sounds of a great army approaching. The king of, the, the king of Israel has hired the Hittites and the Egyptians to attack us. They, they thought that some other armies were coming to attack, to attack them. And they cried to one another. And so they panicked. And they ran into the night, abandoning their tents, their horses, their donkeys, and everything else. And they fled for their lives. So you got it, right? God creates this stir that scares the stew out of the Aramean army, and they run for their lives, and they leave everything. When the lepers arrived at the edge of the camp, they went into one tent after another, eating and drinking wine, and they carried off silver and gold and clothing, and they hid it. So they walk in, and everything, they hadn't eaten in days. You, you just imagine, I've got a 13-year-old back there. If you drop him off at Ryan's and you tell the wait staff not to bother him, we're going to have a sick child. He's going to eat everything in there, and the ice cream machine going to be empty when it's over, just like most of the teenage boys in here. These guys show up hungry. They show up in the camp, and they're eating, and, and there's some Bud Light over in the corner. They're, they're, they're just hitting everything there. They're just having a party, just the four of them, tent to tent to tent. They start to discover gold. They take the money, and they go bury it back in back somewhere they're they're hoarding it all for themselves you know how when you haven't ever had much you finally get something you want to do this like you you having a party by yourself but you start to think man i gotta hide it i gotta take all this stuff and hide it because i might not ever get it again check out this verse but finally they said to each other this is not right now, are they feeling bad for binge eating at the moment? Are they feeling bad for eating too much or stealing from the army? They feel like they're stealing. Are they feeling guilty about stealing? Nah. Finally, they said to each other, this is not right. This is a day of, check it out, good news. 
I want that to sink in on us today. And we aren't even sharing it with anyone. We've come into this city, we, we, I mean, into this army's, into, into all of their possessions. We got it all for ourselves. We're bearing it. And, we're, and I can imagine one of the guys with, the, you know, with his eaten up hands. He got nothing, man. He's taking this gold. He's putting it in the ground. And he's trying to mark it with the tree so he'll remember where it is. And as he's sliding it down in the dirt with a belly full, all of a sudden it just hits him. This isn't right. Why? Because those people in the city are starving. It's not right. Now, their whole life since they've had leprosy, they've been cast out of the city. They've not been taken care of by those folks. But now they've been, they've wandered onto. And I, I love this. I mean, it's not like the four horsemen. It's not like two, four guys walking out there taking names. It's more like if there were four stooges, it'd be like the four stooges, right? They're, they're out here and they just stumble on the well. And now they're given this good news. And they've got all of this stuff for just the four of them. And they're like, we got, we, we, we can't hoard this. We can't go hide and hold this to ourselves. I, love, I actually like the way the verse reads right after. This is not right. This is the day of good news, and we aren't sharing it with anyone. If we wait until morning, some calamity will certainly fall upon us. What's, what do they mean, wait? They're talking about 12 hours. Like, we can't even wait till tomorrow. We can't even sleep out here on our own. We, we can't even wait till tomorrow to tell this good news. It is such good news. We've got to share it with somebody. So come on. They look at each other. Let's go back and let's tell the people in the palace. You feeling any heat from this story? It's just a story. It's a true story. You feeling any heat? I hope so. I feel like I got a lot in common with these uh, four leprous men. I had nothing. I grew up in a great family. We lived in a nice neighborhood. But when I met Jesus, I realized I had nothing, right? You didn't know you didn't have nothing until you meet Jesus because you, you had stuff. Uh, I, I lived before cable and cell phones, so if you're a teenager, I didn't have either one of those because they didn't exist, right? I had a little you thing on the TV. Like, like you can get a fourth channel if you're lucky, but that, that was just the way it was. But I had more than most of the people in the world as far as possessions, but I had nothing. When I met Jesus, I realized I had nothing. These guys walk into this town. They had had nothing, and all of a sudden, they got everything. And they got to tell somebody. They have to. So they went back to the city and told the gatekeepers what had happened. We went to the airman camp, and they said and no one was there. I can imagine them laughing and chuckling. I mean, they've eaten a lot, so they're full. I don't know if they've how much wine they've had. They're, they're probably full of confidence at this moment, and they got change in their pocket, which they never had. But they're speaking to the gatekeeper. The horses and the donkeys were tethered, and the tents were all in order, but there wasn't a single person around. You can imagine, if you're telling a good story, how you tell it? The, the, the horses were all lined up. Oh, they just disappeared. It's a, it's a worship moment. They're saying, I mean, they're saying God had to have done this. We just stumbled on to complete riches. And he says the gatekeeper shouted the news to the people in the palace. And then if you read a little bit longer, I, I can't read all the verses that are left. The king sends out basically spies to test it to make sure that it's not a trap. And once they realize that it's not a trap, there's all kind of layers in this story that are great if you read the whole chapter later. Uh, the whole city comes out, and they enjoy. 
It changes the prices of everything in the city because now they have. They can get back to their crops. They've been enjoying all the pleasures of, these, of, of the army stuff. They go from rich to poor in that city. Some horrendous stuff has happened in the last 24 hours where folks are actually killing one another and eating one another because they're starving at that level. And now they have everything because the four stooges could not sit on good news. You sitting on good news? That's why we named this Radius. Because I never want to sit on good news. But man, it's tempting, isn't it? Isn't it tempting to take the knowledge that you have about Jesus and just sit on it? To take all your resources and just use them, consume them. We've had some uh, wonderful days at this church. If, you, if you're new, we've been here three years. And uh, I think if you were to ask any of the school administrators out here at White Knoll, they would speak really highly of this church because of your generosity. We've got stories of uh, really cool financial things that we've been able to do over the course of three years. And you look around, you tell we don't have a ton, but folks here have been generous. We've been able to give and give away cars. There's just been this variety of things where we have these stories of giving away stuff. As a matter of fact, one of our goals is every year the 30% of the money that comes through the wine barrel back there, the 30% of that money goes out somewhere. We don't want it to be connected to us. We want to be disciplined and continue to give. Because one of the things that really bothered me when I started my first church was I was concerned that people would think this was about money because that's been a lot of folks' church, uh, experience with church. So we, we try to stay really disciplined. That's why we don't pass the plate. That's why there's that wine barrel because we, we, want, we don't want you to ever think this is about money. But if you know Jesus and you're not generous, then something broke inside of you. Because you consume all your stuff, whether it goes in our wine barrel or somebody else's. Something's broke because it's just normal for people that got good news to share their resources. We got a pretty cool opportunity. It's going to come next week. If you want in on it, the wine barrel will be open. <laughs> if you don't know what the wine is, it's a literal wine barrel. It's, back, it's got a little hole in the top of it. That's where people put money in. Next week, uh, there's a church in, in Dubuque, Iowa. It's where Devarius and I come from. Uh, I planted that church. It's, uh, it's a couple years old. They have an after-school program in it that ser- services a really poor population of downtown Dubuque, Iowa, which is like a metropolis I'm sure you've all heard of. And uh, they have an opportunity to buy their $90,000 building. So we, we bought it, uh, I should say, we borrowed some money on it uh, about three or four years ago and uh, bought this 24,000-square-foot building for $90,000. I wish they had one of them in Red Bank, right? And it's got a gym in it, and it's right in the hood, and it's perfect. And, and some guy came along, and he gave us a third of the money up front. So their loan comes due at the end of September. And I told them that we'd pay half up. So no pressure. No pressure. They, this is what they do. J.J., uh, Robert Kimball, I mean, what they do is they, they just serve the poorest people of that town. And they have an after-school program that runs every day. And now they have so much momentum. School teachers volunteer. Hopefully we'll have one of these here in Red Bank one day. But it, it is just, they just kill it. So I thought since we don't have a building, we ought to pay for somebody else's, right? 
So, so next week, you, is, you got fair warning. The, the box is going to be back there. We're going to put everything we can in there, and we're going to try to cover. we got some, some funds set aside that we can use from, but if you're willing, we want to practice what we preach because we never want to get away from taking the good things that are given to us and giving them to somebody else. It holds you accountable. There's some kind of joy in it. It also holds you accountable. It reminds you that one day you had nothing. And so you got to share what you got. But we got way more than this, don't we? Right? We got, we got stuff that's way more valuable than writing a check. Now, for me, writing a check is kind of hard. And for some of y'all, it might be. It's a little painful when I write a check to give it away. So there's certainly pain, but there's a lot of joy. And it's just a percentage of what I got. But, but I got stuff more valuable in me than that. According to what this book teaches, I have the Holy Spirit living within me. And it's supposed to just come natural for me to give away the good news that's inside of me. We planted our first church. And Cheryl and I, uh, I don't remember, babe, where we were sitting, where we were sitting. But church started growing. There was a lot of people coming to it. And somehow we recognized that we did not know and love our neighbors. And so we were really enjoying church, and lots of people were coming to it. And this thing on the stage of that church was kicking. It was fun, and people had a blast. Worship was great. But we realized, me and Cheryl, we didn't know our neighbors, and she really drove the train. She started engaging one neighbor and then another neighbor and then another. We realized not only were we supposed to share Jesus with them, but our job was to love them whether they ever believed or not. My job was to love my neighbor according to the Scriptures. So it was, this, it was this great little season where our generosity had to get a lot broader than writing the check. The good news within us had to go to the people that lived in our radius, which is where the name of this church came from. And honestly, we had a ton of joy come from just knowing the people that live right around us. I want that for you if you're a follower of Jesus. Let me, let me walk you through who Radius White No is. It's uh, just something we do kind of annually. So next week we'll be back to it. Next week we're going to teach about family. And we're going to take three different passages and we're going to work through them over 11 weeks. Should be, should be uh, a, a great thing to invite a neighbor to. For three weeks we'll build a foundation. The next five we'll talk about marriage. And then the final three we'll talk about parenting. And hopefully we'll loop everybody in. So if you're single or where single again or wherever you are in life, you should be looped in as well. It would be a good time to invite somebody. So remember what we are. We're really proud. Radius White, no, we're proud of our front porch. We're not always sure whether we got a mill house or whether we got a big house with a wraparound. We're not really sure because it doesn't really matter. We're just proud of our front porch because it doesn't matter how big or how expensive the house is. It matters about who the people in the rocking chairs on the front porch are. Because if they're attractive, other folks will come and join us there. Um, let me remind us who we are. Because we've been great at this. In order to have a front porch, if, if our church is a house and it has these different sectors, in order to have a front porch, we have to be out there. Which means for many of us that we have to overcome fears. I don't know about you, but when I was a single guy, I wasn't afraid of a lot because I could always sleep on the bench at the park, right? And, and pretty much my mama wouldn't have kicked me out. I could have gone and slept. But then I got married and... And I started to get a little afraid of not paying the bills because I had, the, I had this beautiful young lady that lived with me, and I felt really responsible, like I got to take care of her. And then we had a little rascal. Like he came into the world, and the fears kind of 
quadruple. Cheryl, I kind of thought Cheryl could, maybe we could take care. We'd probably make it if we had to. But this little rascal came in the room. He needed us to eat. He cried. He held us up at night. I mean, it just brought these new fears on me as a provider for my family that I had, I had never experienced. And, and the next thing you know, what happens is these fears that sneak in on you, even though it's for something really good, a child that we love, rob my neighbors of the gospel. And I take all of my stuff and I consume them with my little baby and my little family. And my neighbors are lost. And so it's a fight. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm just saying you can't get stuck in your living room all the time. You got to constantly force yourself to get out on the front porch. And let me just tell you, you got a little baby. People are going to come to your front porch. I mean, that little rascal, he's like the show. He's the attraction. Now, if you're Cheryl, you can't let everybody hold that rascal, right? Because ain't no telling what they're going to breathe on him. But, but you, you put him out there, he's a show. And the next thing you know, the things that God gives you that you're fearful of, if you trust him with him, he uses them to give you opportunity with the neighborhood. Uh, let me, let me be really clear, because I don't think I've talked about this enough. When we talk about Radius White, no. Man, we're really hoping this isn't going to be a white church. And if y'all hadn't picked up on it, it's not a white church. But the only way it's going to become more and more diverse is if you get on your front porch and you don't just look at people like you. And so there's some intentionality about it. We're real intentional about it on our stage. It's been a blessing. God sent Derek and Tessa here. And, and I don't know if you picked up on it, but that's just grown. He's, uh, Derek's growing, and he's growing in authority with us, and the Lord's moving. It's just been this beautiful thing that puts us more in a moral position to be like our little zip code and represent Jesus here and be diverse. So when you're on your front porch, one of the really easy things to do is just look for somebody that has the same. Well, a lot of times it's socioeconomic. It has nothing to do with skin color. We just look for people to make the same kind of money as us. And we feel like we're safe. We don't like. Sometimes we'll make fun of rich people, <laughs> which is weird. We'll make fun of the rich people because it makes us feel bad. I don't know. They're weird anyway. But we make fun of them. And, 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 and then we'll make fun of the people who make less than us. So you saying your little slice of the pie, that's the geniuses of the world, right? That's kind of stupid, really. But then, then that can go to skin color. It can go to language. It can go to all this. And all of a sudden, man, we completely forget what the Bible asks us to do, which is to go into all the world, to go to all nations and make disciples. The other thing that I want to remind you of is it, don't matter how, it does not matter how beautiful the front porch is. If you're not attractive, it's not attractive. So I'm going to add a room to, to our, some of y'all been coming for a while. We've been doing this for a long time. We talk about the front porch. I'm going to add a room to the house. It's a closet. All right, we're going to put a closet in the house. And if you come to my house, you don't want to go in the closet because most of them have my son's shoes in them and they are nasty. And so you get in the closet, you're like, oh, goodness, All right, we're going to stay away from that. So I got this little room on the front of our house where I can go and, and just be with Jesus. I don't know if you got this. But the front porch doesn't work unless you have the hours spent with Jesus because you're just not attractive. But some people can be out on the front porch and make a bunch of noise and they look good and people come talk to them. But when it really gets down to saying something important, they got nothing to say because they haven't been with Jesus. I started uh, spending a specific time with Jesus in the last six weeks. I've always spent time daily with the Lord, but, but, but one of the guys at Radio Selections had challenged me to do something in the morning. I'm not really a morning guy, so you want to call me at 6 a.m.? 
I'll be cordial, all right? But at 6 a.m., I'm kind of doing my thing. He, he said, if my boss asked me to go to work a half hour early, I'd be there because I wouldn't lose my job. And when he said that, it just triggered something in me. Like, I value God's opinion far more than my boss's opinion. Why can't I spend that time? So I started spending that time. And for me, it's really, really simple. I, uh, I read a psalm, which a lot of psalms are short. I try to slow myself down in the morning and focus in on the psalm because it helps me worship, which doesn't always come natural. And then I pray. And I pray. I, I, I try to worship briefly. I, I confess some sin. I thank the Lord. And then I, I, and then I ask for, for what the day's going to be. I get down on my knees. I've never done that. This is new to me. I get down on my knees, put my head on the ground. I'm always afraid Cheryl's going to open the door and crack me in the head while I'm down on my knees. There ain't much room in there. But it's the closet. It's, it's a place where it's private. Nobody can see me. It's not very loud. Um, it, it's just a good spot for me and God to interact before I go out onto my front porch and represent him. Let me tell you something. If you're new to this church, this church gets out there. Football season is about to start. We'll be out there. We're out there all the time. But probably the place we need to look the most is that closet. Because when we get out there, who are we? What's that front porch look like? For me, it's always, uh, you know, my front porch is generally in the gym, working through one of my sons who bounces a ball, and I get to meet people in the stands, and Cheryl says I can't yell at the refs because I'm trying to represent Jesus in the stands. I'm like, man, that's part of the culture, baby. Anyway, uh, it's this, this cool, simple, not complicated idea that we spend time with the Lord and then we give it away. So then most houses have a little foyer. Unless you've got a great room, maybe you just walk right into the main room. But, but this is kind of our foyer. It's the place where if you're new here, hopefully somebody was kind to you. When people come to my house, Cheryl and I go shake their hand. We're still working on the boys to get up and come greet people. And, and that's like a manners thing. Like when somebody comes to the door, you come meet them. You make eye contact. You're kind to them. You ask them a couple questions and get to know them. That's Sunday morning is the opportunity to do that. This is a place to volunteer. If you know Jesus, volunteering back in kids is a great place to get to know your neighbors. Their kids are back there. Right in here, we do a little greeting time, which is so awkward for those of us that aren't as extroverted, right? And you're like, would they please quit, turn the music down? And some of y'all feeling that, and others of y'all are like, oh, look, we hang out all day. This is awesome. There's, we, we do that, which most big churches would say you're not supposed to do because you make people uncomfortable. We do it on purpose because we want a little uncomfort. This is not a place, our foyer is not a place where we want people to just come consume and be able to leave quietly. It's a place where we hope you meet somebody. Because at the end of the day, we believe that Radius White Knoll isn't about excellence, though we want to do some stuff well. Our band always sounds great. Um, we, we work on stuff. Sometimes we screw up. We try to do stuff well. People are here early setting up. You can volunteer to help if you like. But our church is about people. And if you're here, I hope you're here because you know one of these people. Not because of the preachers. Not because of the things that happen up here. But hopefully because... Of the people here. So take a little piece of it and own it. Volunteer at something. You can greet people out. If you're nice, greet people. If you're grumpy, don't greet. Do something else. Park cars. I'm going to do something else, all right? <laughs> if you're great with kids, we need you with kids because that is a constant need. And we have great leadership back there. But get on the schedule to volunteer with kids and consider it a ministry. You're serving folks in here and you're serving their children. That's, that's who we are. Um, one of the things that has been new to me that I'd like to challenge you on is just be here. I probably never said that in 20 years, baby, because I always thought 
Man, you come to church because you want to be there. I never want to have a church that people come because they have to come. You know what I'm saying? You, you ever go up at that church, you got to be there. But as a father, I'm starting to change my mind on that. I, as I lead my family, I make a statement when I'm disciplined at what's most important in my life. And where my time goes shows my children what's most important. So I just want to put it out there because that's what we do here, right? We shoot it straight. Think about being disciplined and attending. We ain't going to give you no stars. Like we ain't have stars outside. We're not going to put a number up on the wall to see how many people here. That's not what we're talking about, right? We're not trying to break some record. I'm thinking about for the health of your family. There's, uh, there's power in choosing to do something together. Sign up for small groups. Derek pitched the plan a minute ago. I got to hear it uh, last week, and I love it. I think it's going to work great right here in Red Bank. We got a spot that we were borrowing. Another church is going to share with us, and I actually think it's going to be as good as it's ever been. There's something great about being with a group of people in a smaller setting that just helps. The early church was just great at it. They got together on a regular basis, and they ate together in smaller groups. It's just what they did. And they hung out. They didn't just hang out and talk about the bears, right? The tigers, the gamecocks. They didn't hang out and talk about them either, right? They, they, the bears just flows better. I don't know why I said the bears. Uh, they want to be with somebody. We worship an unseen God. Sometimes it's just good to sit with somebody you can see and talk about hanging out with the unseen God. It's part of the way God designed us. They were community. What, you really don't know any good Christians that don't live in community. Right? Good Christians go to church. Not because they have to, because they want to. They're, they're involved in smaller communities because they want to. I'm going to tell you, as a dude, that can be a little weird sometimes. Like sitting on four couches and looking at each other and talking is not like one of my favorite things to do in this world. Right, because it's, you know, then I got to talk and I got to have Cheryl, please come with me because I need you to cover for me. But let me just say when we're on mission and we're going to do something together, you get some dudes together and, and get some sawzalls and, 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 and some activity going. Then, then a lot of times guys are really, that's going to be one of their favorite times of the week. There's a way to view this as we're in a fight. And if we don't fight, we're going to lose our town. Oh, you don't have to watch the news fast to realize we're losing our country because dudes don't know how to pray. Not because they don't know how to vote. Who are you going to vote for? I mean, it's because they don't know how to pray. They don't know God. Our nation's going down because we don't know how. So we got to get together and learn. It's a humble environment. Just like Derek said, it's not a place where there's like this expert and you're going to feel awkward. It's a place where you take a faith step and decide to grow. They'll be signing up for that. We finally have, we have this little kitchen table we talk about a lot. We're going to have our last meal with Elijah Reeves at the house tomorrow night. I don't know what we're eating. You're not invited. It's just us tomorrow night. It's kitchen table. And uh, we got three already gone, so there'll be five of us sitting at the kitchen table. And it's, it's just good, man. It's just good. I hope you have it. Like, when I go back through the best memories of my life, uh, a bunch of them are with my little crew sitting at our table. Now, our little crew gets almost a double digits, but our crew sitting around the table, we'll pull the leaves out and we sit, and, and it's really fun when the food's great, but it's good even when it's not great. It's never bad, baby. Sometimes it's better, right? 
And Cheryl does not have a better day than sitting with her people at the table. And there's an intimacy that happens there. Tomorrow what will happen is Elijah will get made fun of some because he's leaving. We got mostly boys. That's how the table works, right? There's got to be some sarcasm. But a lot of times then we'll pray and we'll change gears and we'll just we'll pray over him going. And that's, that's good. We're proud of him going and we're, we're excited for him to go. But we won't miss him because we're tight. I, I hope you got that with somebody other than people that are related to you. Because I got this list of names of people that can sit at the kitchen table with me that know me like they know me. Because we've done the time together with the Lord. And... Uh, Truly, like walking this earth, not much is better than having a true friend that knows Jesus well and knows me deeply. Let me read you a little definition. This is by a guy named Dallas Willard. Really smart guy. I was looking for a definition of discipleship. So I found somebody smarter and I just wrote his down. Dallas Willard. A disciple is a person who has decided that the most important thing in their life is to learn how to do what Jesus said to do. Do you catch the word decided in there? I really like that. For everybody in this room, you have to decide whether you want what Jesus said to do to be what you do. You have to decide, as we've said many times, whether you want Jesus to be the center of your life or an addition. He goes on to say, a disciple is not a person who has things under control. Praise the Lord, because I know most of y'all, everybody be (laughs) off the list at this point, or knows a lot of things. It doesn't mean you have to win Bible trivia, right? You don't have to know who Shamgar is. Anybody know who Shamgar is? Judges. All right. He's a judge. There's only one verse in the Bible about him. It's just a way for me to show off, because I got a lot of Bible knowledge, but, but... It don't mean nothing, right? I just know who Shamgar. I can't even spell it. I know he killed 600 guys with a stick. That's why I liked him as a kid. That's why I remember the story. But it doesn't mean anything if my life's not centered around Jesus and I just know a lot of facts. Final sentence. Disciples simply are people who are constantly revising their affairs to carry through on their decision to follow Jesus. You talk about a stout sentence. One of the reasons we do the Lord's Supper every week is because Jesus asked us to remember. Don't forget what I did. But one of the great things about the Lord's Supper, about communion, is that when you take it, it makes you revise your affairs. So you got to consider what's going to happen in the next seven days. School starts tomorrow, and you got to revise your affairs based on the broken body of Jesus who died on your behalf. So we'll worship in a minute. We'll sing. We'll sing to him. We'll say he's great. It should make us revise our affairs if you're a, a true disciple. Our hope is that... Uh, over a lifetime, you're going to spend thousands of hours in the closet. <laughs> that sounds really weird. You're going to spend thousands of hours with Jesus. There's a book uh, by Malcolm Gladwell. If you're, if you're a reader, you like It's called Outliers. And he, he, he takes all these sports figures, and everybody who is great spend 10,000 hours at what they do. Same for business. You had to spend 10,000 hours to be an expert. Well, certainly, if Jesus is actually the king of kings, if he's the God of this world, he deserves our time. In order to be an expert on who Jesus is and to be an expert on this and what he said, it just don't happen overnight. But what happens even when you only have 100 hours in, you met Jesus and you're excited and you're eating this thing, you got 100 hours and you ain't nowhere near 10,000. All of a sudden, you're 100 hours, you're 100 hours ahead of the next guy who knows nothing. 
And there's this natural inclination, just like these lepers in this story, to take what I'm learning and I've got to give it to somebody. Because the news is so good, no matter how much I know, I got to pass it on. You know what we call that? We call that discipleship. We're taking Jesus in the center of my life and we're encouraging you to make Jesus the center of your life. Because it's the best thing I got, so I got to give it away because it doesn't run out. I don't hoard it. I got to give it away. And it it actually fulfills me more as I give it away. And, And what I dream for for you, I dream for my family, is that you make a disciple this year. Somebody, you take the good news is in you and you pass it on. One night at the Reeves table, Cheryl and I were sitting in our 20s. And I wrote down the number 2 to the 15th, I've told you before. And I started doing math in front of my wife. I'm good at math, so it was all right. I'm glad I wasn't spelling. Um, and I, I just said, what if we did this? Every three years we made a cycle. Like one, one cycle. And we, and I and she, poured all of our stuff into this person, everything we know about Jesus. And at the end of that three years, we asked that guy to do the same. What if we did that for the rest of our lives? And I put 45 years up. I, I, I was 45 more years. So that's 15. So for some of you math majors, 2 to the 15. So 2 to the 2 is 4. Very good. You didn't say that very confidently. Who said that? <laughs> Test it. Like, that, was, that was like weak. But at least you said something. 2 to the 2 cubed. High school kid, 2 cubed. Thank you so much. Thank you. So we, we got somebody in high school. Good. So 2 to the 4th. You figure out what we're doing times and times two every time. Go ahead, baby. Carry it on the front row. 16 times 232, 64, 128, 256, five. I'm lost. All right. So we just keep going. Thank you. 512. All right. So we figured out if we could just do that every three years for the rest of our lives, whether we ever led a church, wherever spoke on a stage, if I worked, whatever kind of job, we could make one disciple every three years. That's two to the 15th. How many people do you think that is? Well, it's 15 for me. That means over the course of 45 years, every three years, I'm building into somebody for three years. And then I'm tagging him off, and, and I stay in contact, and, and I have a list. I actually wrote it down. I'm at 2 to the 11th. 2 to the 15th, 32,000 people. Disciples of Jesus. Obviously, there's some failure rate in there, right? Everything doesn't work perfect. That's like a perfect pyramid. But that's a pretty effective life for the Lord. It's not complex. It's not snazzy. You don't have to post about it. Nobody has to know. But it's effective. And that's what we're hoping here. We hope our churches do the same. That's why young guys are always going to be sharing up here. It's why we're, you're watching as we sit here. Derek, Derek just grow as a communicator and as a leader. It makes me jump for joy just to watch that happen. Because our expectation is God's going to continue to send us young guys. Over the course of time, and we're two to the two in churches right now, right? There's one in Saluda, one in West Columbia. We sent them. Our little church. We sent somebody to West Columbia. We've already reproduced. Lexington, there's a four of us. So we hope in three years there'll be eight. That means y'all got to be ready. In three years, if you're a disciple, then you'll probably have to ask the question, am I supposed to go? Maybe it'll be Gilbert. Maybe it'll be somewhere else. Am I supposed to go? It was a good ride. Love doing it with y'all. And I'm over time. They're going to have to wait for me over there. All right, let's pray. Jesus, I love you. Love uh, worshiping with these guys and ladies. I love what you've done in us. I love the uh, attitude that you created at this young church. The generosity that is just off the chain. 
We don't want to quit. So this morning, I pray you would remind those of us who have been doing this a little while. Remind us. As we come up and take bread and juice, as we worship, we want to evaluate our affairs. We want to put them in submission to you. We want to make you the authority. We want to make sure our stuff's right. Some folks in the room, they just walked in. They're like, that was a weird Sunday to show up. And just, just pray you would calm them a little bit. And if you, you want to speak to them about what's going on in their life, Holy Spirit, please do. We look forward to this uh, series we start next week where we just work on our families. Pray that you would help each of us. Some, some that uh, have experienced tons of pain there. Others that, uh, that have tons of joy there. Lord, deal with us all. Bring some healing. Uh, give us direction with our families. And send us forward. Uh, we love you. We pray in your great name. Please listen to us worship Jesus. Amen. Mm-hmm.